Greyhound to trap one. Over. Welcome to the Trap One Podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Eric. And I'm Pete. So, Series 12 of Doctor Who is out on DVD and Blu-ray today from all good outlets and Amazon. These episodes <laughs> were broadcast back in another age when the world was a very different place. So I thought it'd be interesting today for cast our minds back uh, and see how they hold up in today's world. Uh, what were your favourite episodes from Chibnall and Whittaker's sophomore series? Uh, Pete, I think I might know the answer for you. I, yeah, I still, well, uh, I, I, yeah, it's all from 55, and I know I am, my desires are unconventional, as the meme goes, uh, but normally they're not, normally I like this, exactly the same stuff that everyone else likes, but this year I absolutely love the one that everyone else seems to hate, um, and, and, and then um, uh, Diodati, of course, Villa Diodati, is a less controversial favourite of mine. And Eric, what, what was the, uh, the highlight for you? Uh, definitely haunting of Villa Diodati. That's <clears throat> that's far and away for me the best story of the entire Whitaker era. Like head and shoulders above anything else in season twelve or eleven. Um, but there are a couple other solid ones. I thought "Can You Hear Me" was fun, and I kind of liked the Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. It felt like a throwback to a very standard RTD celebrity historical vibe, which I have nothing against. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for me as well. There's, uh, there's, there's no dispute there. Haunting of Villa Diodati was was my favourite, uh, but I also don't share the um, the hatred for Orphan Fifty Five that uh, <laughs> that seems to be prevalent, even in the Doctor Who magazine review. I know. Like, I was like, surely they're going to find someone with a nice word to say about it, and it's like, yeah, it's shit. Yeah. Know, like the one sentence called it out, the unquestionable dud of the year. I don't think it was markedly worse than a lot of, or at least certain amount of others. Um, I think it just had some really flagrant issues that were very easy to point and laugh at. They are. Um, uh, uh, Sorry, I'm leaping into defense mode already. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They are. uh, Yeah, you're right. I, I, I I know that. But it is things that, if those things just don't matter to a viewer then everything else it's doing can really just can sort of shine. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll come to that. <laughs> Benny! So yeah, it, it just, it was so easily sort of memefied in, in some bad ways. Um, but I, yeah, I don't, it, I was kind of struck by the intense amount of hatred for Orphan 55, which among my circle of friends arose essentially immediately after we watched it. You know, we have a group chat and as soon as people were done, they were like, Jesus Christ. And I was like, it's not, I mean, it's not great, but <laughs> what do you expect I, from season 11 and 12? This is kind of par for the course for me in my mind. It's very, I think it, and it's in, in a very similar situation to Love and Monsters in that it, it broke mm. a lot of rules. And if breaking those rules, if those are the rules that you really care about, then you're going to hate it. But if those aren't the rules that actually matter all that much to you, then, uh, then it won't. Because like, I, I, Love and Monsters, I hated as soon as it went out. And then, over time, I've come back and, and I like it a bit more now. There are still some things I don't like, but um, yeah, those ones that just go way beyond the usual uh, the usual realms of what's 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 expected of an episode are always going to have that kind of effect. Yeah, I don't know what what like you say. I don't know what inspired the level of hate. 
Um, I think mm. um, because we we podcasted about this, Pete. Um, the only real criticism um, is is that visually, it, it's not great. You know, the, you've got the guys with the green hair, um, the, uh, the the sort of lady that's half dog, that's a bit like um, the character from Spaceballs. Yeah, yeah and, and, I thought, and I immediately thought, oh, she's a cosplayer who's cosplaying as that Spaceballs mm. character. <laughs> um, that's really funny. I like this. I'm laughing with it. Uh, and then I checked Twitter and everyone else was like, what the fuck are they doing? She looks like that thing in Spaceballs, didn't they realise? <laughs> I, I, those sort of things, I'm, I'm always pretty indifferent to that sort of stuff. I'm very much a sort of scripting guy. And so when I see someone contriving to get far too many people on what is supposed to be a rescue mission just so they can be killed one by one, I was like, come on, you can be smarter than this. You're being super lazy. And there's no no sensible person would take, I forget what Benny's wife's name or not wife, fiance, what Benny's partner's name is. But there's no reason for her and a child and all these other people to be on this little thing. Gotta keep an eye they, on you. you can't fall into the cliche of everyone. Then what you up. do is you split up and you leave. That's a cliche. You know, but you <laughs> is it no more cliche than having people killed one by one by an unseen monster that ends up being us? I mean, that's just zombie movies one on one. And and so it's not that it can't be enjoyable. It's just it's an like I said, it's an easy thing to point at and say, that's just dumb. That's a that's a dumb decision for the doctor to make, and it's a dumb decision for the writer to make. And they're like, doing it for plot expediency, but that doesn't justify it. It's like with um, with Love and Monsters. For me, it was the the minute that we had that Scooby Doo style shot of, of the Doctor and Rose scampering backwards and forwards, chasing the monster, and then the monster chases them. I, I checked out at that point, and that's like thirty seconds in. It is thirty I, seconds I, I in. I do not want Doctor Who to do this. This is this is what people who hate Doctor Who say. Say Doctor Who's like. Uh, yeah, which is actually the joke of that yeah, is yeah. that it's it's Elton's perspective, and he, you know, from someone looking on the outside, Doctor Who looks like people chasing monsters down corridors with buckets, um, and so it's sort of playing with your perspective, and it's not a reliable narrator sort of vibe. Orphan Fifty Five is just pretty, I think, mid to lower level Doctor Who that, for whatever reason. I think because it gets super preachy in the last minute, I think that's what I did. People, it left a bad taste in people's mouths. Even people who are very liberal about these things, they were like, oh, come on. This episode doesn't justify that ending. <laughs> I don't know. The characters but, had just seen a load of people killed by the, uh, the mutated remnants of humanity on a, mm-hmm. on a virtually destroyed Earth. I think, I think you, you would feel quite strongly about that at the end. Because I saw... Um, I can't remember it was, people on Twitter sort of saying, oh, well, you know, the new Wurzel Gummidge did this in this much more subtle way. Um, but Wurzel Gummidge hadn't just witnessed the carnage that uh, <laughs> or had to face down the... Um, <laughs> I, I would love that. <laughs> I, I liked the Wurzel Gummidge reboot. I would have liked it even more if it had featured carnage. Yeah, and, you know, the other, I mean, we're doing this in a, in a weird order, but, but reversing back to the end of Spyfall and the destruction of Gallifrey, I did think at the end of Spyfall, okay, next week we're going to get David Tennant style angst or something. And I was, uh, uh, and, and uh, when it, when you had um, Yaz just telling the Doctor she's been in a Mardi mood for a while, um, that really burst that bubble of negative expectation that I had. Um, so uh, yeah, Spyfall. <laughs> yeah, I'll 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 take my claim right now. I. 
Series 12 was a marginal improvement on Series 11, and I think I was on this very show, I think, talking about how Season 11 wasn't my cup of tea. Um, and Season 12 didn't do that much. And it was interesting because Spyfall really brought so many people in, and they were so excited about it. And I, even as I was watching it, I thought, this is just not going to be my era of the show. This is just not going to be for me. And that's the sort of feeling I had consistently throughout this entire season from beginning to end. I, I'm happy that people enjoyed this so much more than they did Series 11. I'm happy that people who enjoyed Series 11 enjoyed this even more. I think most people agree it is an improvement over Series 11 in many ways. I, I wish it could be that for me. It's just it's not doing it. There were great moments, of course. But altogether, I was just like... This this isn't this isn't me. <laughs> this <laughs> We're is not completely cancelling each other out because because that, that's precisely how I felt about most of the Moffat era. I was watching mm. Doctor Who because I was a Doctor Who fan and Doctor Who was on. I didn't care. I didn't like the characters very much. I found the episodes really repetitive, and so having and I'm not a Chibnall fan by any means. His previous work didn't particularly light me up. But and in fact, one of the I, I, I'm still not in, haven't entirely put my finger on what it is about the current era that I'm enjoying a lot more than previous ones. Uh, but um, it is something to do with actually feeling invested in the characters as, as people, as, as, as people that you just might know, rather than them being indefatigable multiplex complexes wrapped in an enigma. Um, the, the, and I know that that must leave a fairly bland taste to people who are, who are if, if someone's coming to watch wanting every character to be on these sort of messianic paths that they were for the past few years. But those kind of character traits just didn't really, they, they, they didn't leave me thinking these people were real people. So, And if they died, they'd be brought back to life again next week anyway. So having, the, the, well, the one thing that I was really wanting from season 12 was a, a bit more peril to be put into the States because season 11 was nice and it was a sort of refreshing, really refreshing change. But after the initial uh, death of Grace and that being treated in a very real way, there was never really a point in Series 11 where you thought anyone was likely to, to be in, in, in genuine peril. Whereas I think going into the finale of Season 12, um, it, I did believe that there was a chance that not all of the central characters would make it out of it. That's interesting. I didn't, but... but can <laughs> Like, almost nothing this season did work for me aside from what Haunting does to firmly establish that this doctor is the same doctor and she's been playing at something else for a while, which I think is quite interesting. But I didn't like this master. I didn't like the Cyberman plot. I didn't. I thought the reveal of Dr. Ruth was fascinating and interesting, and then Chibnall does literally nothing with it. Um, yeah. Yeah, coming at a very entirely yeah, opposite perspective, but, I think. But no, I mean, I'm with, I could see what you mean about Dr. Ruth, definitely, because one of the biggest surprises of the, of the finale was that she just popped up as a little cameo. It, it, you, it, everything was um, was geared towards probably leading us to expect her to play a really big role in, in the series, from which mm -hmm. I just deduced that she's lined up for next year or she's actually the 14th Doctor and is lined up to take over the year after that. I wouldn't be at all... I think that's possibly more likely than what I initially thought about her being a, between Trout and Burley, which is what we're led to believe. I'm wondering if that's deliberate. Um, 
Oh, I don't think anyone is led to believe that. <laughs> I think I think I think fanboys went for season six B. I think most viewers who aren't familiar with the classic series were just sort of like, "Who is she?" And then it's revealed that the Doctor's done this hundreds of times, and most likely she's just one of those from some point. Well, I thought it was pretty clear that she isn't though, because she's got the um, she's got the TARDIS as a police box. Yeah, that Which seems like an that unexplained money. thing. That, that would that, be a mistake. Yeah, but I, I, I'm not willing. I'll be. I'll put my cards 100 percent on the table. I don't think Chibnall's smart enough to actually plan something like that. I think he thought the TARDIS needs to be recognizable. It needs to be the police box. We'll deal with what that means later. Yeah, and I suppose. So I honestly, the other part of that is yeah. the character referring to herself as the Doctor. Which you know this Doctor would know why and when they took on that alias and, and, and persona which presumably is for completely different reasons than the regenerations before the first doctor as we know him uh took that on as well so i think the oh, i don't they, um, they're called the doctor and have the police box yeah it either makes me think that it's uh it's something different to a, a, a pre-hartnell or the Doctor is just continuing this pattern uh, yeah. lifetime after lifetime. But the reveal in The Timeless Children only makes sense if Ruth is somehow in proof, Ruth is proof, huh, of something before the first Doctor. Because if she's a future incarnation of the Doctor, the reveal in Timeless Children is meaningless. Reveal in Timeless Children that the Doctor is not actually Gallifrey and she's something else hinges on the idea that essentially she is she is always who she is she is always this sort of person who does the stiff who does the stuff and picks this name and doesn't use guns etc cetera, etc cetera. even if sometimes like with the third doctor she's working for unit or like dr ruth she seems to be working for the cia or whatever they call it in that story it's still but for that reveal to hit home that essentially the doctor's been living all of these lives all of the Morbius yeah. doctors are real. All of those, they have to all come from before. They have to. Otherwise, what? that reveal what? is, what? is she, empty. She doesn't. No, she doesn't. There's no story, but she doesn't. She could just as easily... I mean, the, the, the point is that the doctors had all these million potentially infinite faces or whatever, which is funny. I, I, I'll admit, I would have really rolled my eyes at that a few years ago, but now it's like, now that we've had the war doctor, it doesn't bother me. But, um, but but she could just as easily be a, a future incarnation who is dropped into all of this at a point to mislead the viewer, to, to mislead those of us who, are, who, who do follow that kind of detail. Um, because, and, and then it's... Uh, You're talking like someone who would believe Moffat would do this, but this isn't Moffat, this is Chibnall. <laughs> Chibnall is a much more straightforward plotter and writer. He'll, I'm sure he'll find something to do with... Dr. Ruth later, God, I hope he will. But oh, I yeah. think I think we might have be done seeing her. I honestly it, think it that. It does rely on, when we talk about the reveal, that the Master's telling the truth as well, doesn't it? Um, that, that it all comes mm-hmm. from the Master and what he shows the Doctor in the Matrix, which, uh, again, like long-term viewers know, can be fairly easily manipulated and, and uh, shown to be, uh, you know, to create false narratives and things like that. So... It could be a yeah, yeah. bigger and twist he, further he, down the line, potentially. 
Yeah, any, any future showrunner obviously can, uh, can pull a rug under anything as they, uh, however they, they want to. Because I think the, the thing that I kind of thought about the um, about part of that reveal is it, it, it very much changes the relationship with the master. The way the master's always felt like a, a dark reflection of the doctor. Um, they, they've kind of been equals but opposites. Whereas it, and, and even after Skyfall, uh, sorry, Spyfall, um, that that's uh, that's reinforced <laughs> because the Doctor and the Master are both in the same position there of carrying the weight of having destroyed their own people. Um, but then with the reveal of uh, um, of, uh, of where of the Doctor's apparent origins, um, it sets them completely different, uh, completely different paths. And I wasn't entirely sure about the Master's reason for killing all the Time Lords as being that whether that would motivate him to uh, to kill everybody and, and destroy them, compared to anything else. Yeah, or, or and, and how he did it is, 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 would actually be a good story to tell, rather than just jumping in with the uh, announcement that it had happened. But, um, like someone pointed out, that, uh, that it's all being delivered in a very police procedural way, that the Doctor's just turning up and learning things, either yeah. by asking questions or having them announced, and that can be uh, much less involving than some things. But then, then obviously an actual plot where the Doctor is going through the events that are happening. But, but then we've been having both at the same time, and that's why the, all the stuff in, uh, in Diodata, which then, Diodati, I still get it wrong every time, and I've learned it as well. <laughs> um, but all, all the stuff in, let's call it Villa, all the stuff in, in Villa as it leads through into the, the finale is, is really a, a single long story that does have the Doctor very much active in its first half, before then the rather strange concept of having the Doctor just being being pretty much a viewer of most of the finale episodes. But I usually hate finale episodes. I, mean, I usually hate final episodes because they're so over the top and pompous. Uh, and, and so I, I don't go into them with a, with a big expectation of getting what I think is a, as, as a Doctor Who-ish hit. Um, hit, hit. So I don't mind at all that it's gone in the direction that it's gone in. But, um, but whether it's a wise decision in terms of the general public being able to follow it, or more importantly, care, is, uh, is, is another matter I appreciate. I think, I think Chibnall's just not very good at writing, uh, at finding a way to do uh, seamless exposition dumps. Um, and so he just doesn't. He does it in the <laughs> most seamful way possible. Um, and that is by having us and the doctor essentially watch Tech Tayoon's home movies. Um, which is, I mean, when you look at it, like that's, that's not an uncommon technique, right? Like how many TV shows, cop procedurals, movies use that where you spend just like, I mean, 1984 does it in the middle of the book where you like read another book inside the book. Like it's a common technique. It strikes us as ham fisted because it is, but it, it's, I think it's, I think it reveals the limitations of Chibnall's style as a Doctor Who writer that. When he wants to do this huge reveal, he can't think of a more interesting way than just, well, I'll I'll have the story be told from the Matrix. It's announced. It's announced. Rather than unfolding, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the, that strikes with the thing, uh, back in it's my fall episode one, I, I, I wasn't that crazy about it on first viewing, whereas a lot of other people, for me it was sort of average, whereas a, a lot of people really loved it. But the thing that annoyed me about with it uh, was there seemed to be so much pointless exposition and like people 
people, there's a bit where they're in a car going backwards and Graham turns and says, the car's going backwards. And like, we, we can see that, Graham. <laughs> um, and, there's a, and there's a couple of bits where Ryan did this, the same sort of thing. And it's a shame because throughout the season, Ryan, well, all of them, but Ryan in particular has had some really funny moments and, some, uh, uh, and, and just little lines and, and Tussin Cole is, is fantastic at delivering these little, little moments that he's given. Uh, in a way that it just makes him really likable. Um, but um, yeah, in, in, in Spyfall Part 1, he was like pointing at the building and going, so we're going to go in this building and we're going to pretend that I'm there, there, there. And like, we, I think we already knew that. I can't remember now. But um, it, it almost felt like an info, info dump of info that we already had mm-hmm. uh, on one or two occasions. And even if it wasn't, it's just so blatantly done that it feels very like, ugh. Oh, 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 I'm learning now, but my God, this is how I'm learning. Yeah. Like, it's always better in those scenarios. And this is this is a classic technique, too. Like, someone says, I have an idea, and you sort of huddle together, and then you cut to them at the party pretending to be whoever they're pretending to be. And you learn what the plan was as you see them enact it. Mm. And that's, that, I mean, it's, it's, it's lazy, too, but it's more effective, at least, and it's more engaging for the viewer. The thing that occurred to me going back to Spyfall is uh, after both parts one and two, uh, on, your, on first viewing, the, after part one, you're really hit by the reveal of the master. Um, and, and that kind of gives you a buzz and that's what you go away thinking about. And on part two, it's the destruction of Gallifrey. Um, watching the stories back, um, when you already know that, they, like you say, they, they it's not a particularly great story no. um, that, uh, that that hangs together particularly well we don't we don't really learn anything much about the Kasavin mm-hmm. um, who yeah, kind of expected to come back really um, given that they were all powerful and seeded throughout Earth's history they seemed like this this season's Tim Shaw that they might be the sort of mediocre villain that returns in the finale anyway mm. Yeah, and, and I can't remember if I didn't know if I'd just forgotten when um, when it got to Villa that, um, that the Cybermen were going to even be in that week because when, when we saw the going figure, I immediately thought it, it was them come back again. Um, yeah, when you when it, uh, the Cyberman first appears out in the lake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed like they were going to be revealed um, because they were just kind of featureless. Well, not featureless, but... Well, yeah, features shapes, weren't they, really? They're kind of like, yeah. that, that like the Cybermen um, in the... Uh, Army of the, Ghosts. Uh, Army of Ghosts, yeah. yeah. But, but with tantalising hats. <laughs> yeah. Never quite got to the bottom of. <laughs> yeah, that, that there would be some kind of reveal of what, of what they really looked like. Yeah, uh, but no, but I, I think you're dead on that Spyfall. And this is something... I think he learned from season 11 that... Doctor Who fans now kind of expect, oh my god, sort of reveals. And that if you don't give them that, they'll turn against you pretty quickly. And so he did that, but he didn't actually do a lot of other stuff to make the reveals resonate that much. And so Spyfall, exactly as you said, Mark, you take away the reveal of the Master and the reveal of Gallifrey, and it becomes essentially every Delgado Pertweed. Like, the Master is cahooting with aliens and there's a businessman... And somehow it all makes sense, but then it doesn't. And the businessman just walks off stage at the end. It is apparently okay. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Well, that is weird. Yeah, I, I, I was really, <laughs> that is really weird that they that, that, that kept doing that after doing it repeatedly last year as well. The, the bad guy just wanders off. After, in this instance, after killing his mother. Yes, after killing <laughs> his mother because he hates her. Yeah. 
Do you think they're all going to come back in, in Chibnall's final story that we're going to get um, Chris North and uh, um, Lenny uh, Henry? Lenny, and Lenny Henry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they're going to be like um, the Pandora <laughs> Opens Alliance. They're going to be, <laughs> yeah. it's just going to be a bunch of rich businessmen. Maybe Crass Gold turn up and uh, all the people that have just, yeah, walked off or teleported away all the. Uh, We'll come back. I kind of think that there was a, there was a moment of hint of that at the start of um, Battle of Rancor of Kolos, where someone said there's been five distress signals or something, and uh, that's precisely how many of these villains have wandered off. <laughs> 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 and it transpired to not be not be the case. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, the the one story we haven't mentioned yet at all, really, I don't think that I I liked despite myself was Praxeus. How did we feel about Praxeus? I, I thought it um, was. I thought it hung together well. I, again, I, I liked the characters. There, there, there are um, sort of amusingly quickly dealt with things like that guy who just walks outside and dies, and no one has time to care. <laughs> yeah, or even no. know whether or not he was a good guy or not. <laughs> yeah, but you get that. I mean, the the, the, the example of uh, Rose and the Ninth Doctor running around seeing the size of London ten minutes after she thinks Mickey's been killed is uh, mm. <laughs> these little uh, moments will occur when you're having a very, very quick action-adventure series that does have to have some real death and you can't do it to some extent. But, um, yeah, yeah. I, and and, and to me, Praxeus felt like a, a tradi- an old-school Doctor Who story of, of a four or maybe even a six-parter that was just being told at super super high speed. I think it was probably, you were talking about Peril before, that's, that's the one where you felt like, well, there's... There's two points, I think, with Yaz where you thought that maybe something was going to befall her. Uh, when she gets zapped into the Kasavin realm in Spyfall, mm-hmm. and then in Praxeus when she says, oh, I'm going to go and go back and get that piece of alien tech. Um, and it just kind of that moment between her and the Doctor, like, acknowledging that she's going into danger, and then she um, she risks using the teleport, despite not knowing it's going to take her or anything. That, that they felt, Yaz, I think, felt the most imperiled in this series and I thought that they were going to go further with that maybe and I think I thought something was going to happen to her in Praxeus that because uh, it almost felt like she was following a little bit of a Clara kind of trajectory yeah. in that the way she's becoming a bit of a, um, a proto-doctor not, not yeah and insisting on going into danger and saying that no I'll be fine uh, yeah. yeah it's a little bit of the recklessness and a, and a little bit of um, um, protege was what I meant to say before not proto-doctor but, but that, that kind of uh becoming groomed to to be more like the doctor. Yeah. Oh, I mean, she, she clearly, you know, my, my theory is the person she's talking about and haunting who she loves, but doesn't, it's never going to work is the doctor, but you know, there, I guess that's mm-hmm. open to debate. Um, but certainly in Praxeus, I see, but I, to me, it's, it's that Yaz is finally being companiony. She's going off and getting in trouble and following her nose and stuff. Like Sarah Jane would have done the exact same thing, so, yeah, and and yeah. so it's just we're so not used to these companions doing that, <laughs> and so to the point where I remember when Praxeus uh, aired on Twitter, there was a lot of people saying, "Well, clearly Yaz is under the control of the Master because she's acting so strangely," <laughs> and I was like, "She's, no. she's doing stuff, <laughs> exactly, because she's doing stuff because she's being proactive," and it was so funny to me, but it's. God, it feels like Chibnall dealt with Ryan and Graham last season. He sort of they owned last season between the two of them yeah, yeah. with the Grey storyline, and that 
that wrapped up. And then he even wrapped up the dad storyline in resolution, which I guess is part of this season or last season. Who knows? Um, and so this year got to be heavily Yaz focused. And we finally got to explore a bit more of her and a bit more why she wanted to be a police officer and what she views as her duty and stuff like that, which is very refreshing. But it does mean that she starts to feel in a way not familiar, but it's much more like traditional companion stuff. Okay, I get this. And, and, and she's paired up more with Graham, which they hadn't got a nice dynamic mm. going. It, it actually, Praxis is the best example of that, isn't it? Um, where they, they work well together, and then he gives her that role. There's that, there's that speech in, is it the last episode of the penultimate? It's the last, it's Pam's Children, yeah. It is part two, isn't it? Yeah, where um, where he says you're the you're, you're the most wonderful woman I've ever met, <laughs> and I'm just like, all oh, right, Todd Grace, <laughs> 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 so, uh, and the doctor. But but I think it's because he's pissed off at the doctor because of the doctor flopping the opportunity to say something inspirational to him um, about his health worries, which uh, in uh, a few weeks earlier, which was also a very controversial moment, wasn't it? They ended up. I don't think there's ever been a case of the Doctor Who production office issuing a statement the day after an episode. To try and reassure people, it wasn't our intention that the doctor was being a dick to him when he told her he was worried about his cancer coming yeah. back. It was meant to just be showing that she didn't know the right words, but she cared. Which, which I picked up from it, that I can appreciate it wasn't. Well, well obviously, evidently, um, not everyone did. A lot of people just thought she was being a dick, which was uh, not the intention, obviously. But maybe, yeah, maybe that's the moment that Graham actually took against the doctor and decided that Yaz is also his favourite person. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny, isn't well, it? After after Spyfall, the I'm covering uh, in the gaps. The, <laughs> after Spyfall, the controversy was that um, the TARDIS had some like kind of workings that the Doctor could access from underneath while it was up on the mechanics ramp. Uh, I love that. I thought that was so Perry. Perry would have done that in a flash yeah. if they'd had a big enough studio uh, and a big enough crowd. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Perry got the console like, out of the TARDIS somehow. Just let it go, people. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, like that was a controversy after Spyfall. Then um, after Can You Hear Me, it was it was about the Doctor's reaction to to Graham. Um, and then obviously by the end of the series, it's that the whole mythology of the series is being rewritten. Uh, so yeah, you wonder if the uh, if Chibnall <laughs> and the production staff were sort of uh, you know kind of seeing these controversies and thinking you haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. very quickly. <laughs> well, I think, I think, you know, and who knows whether it was a conscious reaction or whether it's sort of been part of Chibnall's plan for the character, because yeah. I can believe he has that. He has a sense of where he wants this doctor to start and where he wants her to end up. But this is the season I think we saw her become much more recognizably like her predecessors, where she is awkward more, and not just in a sort of funny, haha, awkward way, but like a bit too brusque maybe at times or not quite knowing what to say where the, oh. the idea that this whole fam thing is an act to some extent, it's a choice she's making and she loves it, but she knows it's all a lie. Like she knows this can't be real because Graham is old and Ryan's going to go off and do whatever. And Yaz is mooning after her or whatever, but this, this sort of, they're not really her fam. And, and the yeah. moment in <clears throat> the moment in haunting, where she finally says, look, I know I talk a good game about this flat team structure, but that is bullshit. I am at the top and you are so far below me. It doesn't even, I can't even see you. And I was like, I was just being nice. <laughs> exactly. I was being nice. I was having fun. We were having a good time together, but this is serious and I'm the doctor and you can shut up now. 
I thought, yes, yes, go. And that does really land um, because it's such an about turn from her, but because it's you you, you can completely believe that that is how she's actually always felt when under pressure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It didn't just come from out of the blue, it it naturally built to it. No, and I think that's right. And I think I give, I want to give Chibnall credit for that because I do think it's possibly his actual intention was sort of. To start her, well, to start her sort well, it of. Hangs you, doesn't it? <laughs> no, because I also this is the other thing with Chibnall, and you you never know with any writer well, how much of this sort of planning and how much is it reactive and how much is sort of gut instinct and how much is skill and whatever. Um, but it does seem that he very consciously worked against the sort of twelfth Doctor sort of vibe in her early season, but maybe realized he went a bit too far towards passivity and friendliness and had to sort of bring it back a bit more. Um, and maybe this doctor's journey will sort of be fine. I, I can't do the fam thing. I can't just be one of the mates. Okay, fine. Almost going in the opposite direction to um, the British. Yes. Yeah. And you mentioned passivity and that, that reminded me that in, uh, one of the early episodes might have been Spyfall 1. She says, um, she says, I'm a pacifist. Mm-hmm. And that's, I'm pretty sure no incarnation of the Doctor has ever said that before. Someone could correct me, but, but I'm, I, I, that, that is actually a really big thing to, to say when you're the lead character in an mm-hmm. action series, never mind when you're the Doctor specifically. Um, because that, that, and that made the set up the contrast with the Ruth Doctor pretending to use the gun, which is something that even, even, um, Jodie wouldn't even pretend to use a gun, is what she's saying, mm-hmm. ideally. But I imagine we are going to end up with something like that. But then, the, uh, I think it's fantastic to compare the final, that final scene in the, uh, in the Capitol uh, with, uh, with the conclusion of Invasion of Time, when the Doctor just goes and gets a great big laser gun and just blows up all the aliens with his massive uh, DMAT gun. Um, the, uh, that's definitely a, a different way of handling the situation in the exact same spot. Definitely. Have you guys read Paul Connell's short story that um, that came out mm. the other day? I thought, um, um, yeah. I guess without kind of going into any spoilers, if anybody hasn't read it yet, it says some quite interesting things about the Doctor's character and uh, this this incarnation of the Doctor's character, um, which I was good about the uh, comparing it to other incarnations in terms of uh, trying to get people to underestimate her, um, and even picking up on the. The, the thing from the family of blood uh, about trapping the girl in the mirror um, and she says that isn't me anymore which uh, I think it's it's yeah it's, it's quite an interesting look I think at the differences between definitely kind of the immediate predecessors um, of this incarnation um, and why she behaves the way she does sometimes it's a very like thoughtful uh, clever piece of writing I think yeah, no, I really enjoyed it, and I think, I, but I think, I think Paul, who who is friends of mine, full disclosure, um, I, I think he's at least somewhat, and I know I'm ascribing viewpoints to him, so be careful. Um, I think he is very much of the school that the Doctor is always the same person, but how they present themselves changes, mm-hmm. but that there are core things, and so it's always these sort of edge cases where you see the sort of tension between. You know, how this one do it and this one does it and this one does it and this one does it. Um, and I think, but I, but I do think he's, he sort of got at the, this doctor, this 
this sort of, well, I'm kind of awkward and I'm kind of weird and maybe not childlike, but sort of buoyant. Mm, yeah, she knows that yeah, that's how she comes off. Yeah, childlike. Yeah, well, that's just yeah. sort of, I, I think Matt Smith when I think childlike and she's more sort of almost like awestruck by everything in a, in a weird way. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And also, Matt Smith has that thing of acting like sometimes like he'd just never met a human before. Mm-hmm. The, the, the great comic um, payoffs. Um, but um, whereas with her, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a different different type of innocence. Yeah. The other thing that I don't think we we talked about this in our sort of like debrief, but looking at the episode list and whatnot, is last season was deliberately very light on any sort of continuity. Mm-hmm. And this season just sort of said, screw it, and threw in all the continuity? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, my, my theory is that Chibnall, when it comes to continuity, is like someone who was doing dry January. <laughs> and a lot of people who met him for the first time there might have thought, oh, this guy's teetotal. <laughs> it's like, oh, just you wait, just you wait till February 1st. <laughs> yeah, I think even, even internal yeah. continuity, series 11, bar about three episodes, you could put in any order. Um, because there's mm. not really much change uh, in the characters or development or anything that has any kind of a lasting effect, um, which is totally different here in terms of, uh, of things across the series, um, plus, as I say, continuity with the, with the rest of the season, which is, uh, which is back with a vengeance. Even in stories yeah. where it's not necessary, like Can You Hear Me? The Toy Maker. Where you have these sort of, yeah, yeah the reference to the Toy Maker and yeah. the Eternals. And it's like, that's for like, especially the Toy Maker, that's for like eight people. You know, a <laughs> tiny portion of the viewing audience are going to understand the reference to the Celestial Toy Maker. Definitely. I, th- I do feel like the having an arc back brought, for me anyway, a lot of, um, a lot of anticipation back to to the series in terms of, especially after um, the Fugitives of Jadoon, which started off, it's kind of a generic episode mm. title. It seemed like it was going to be kind of just a, a, a mid-season episode. And then, you know, bang, it's just got huge ramifications, yeah. um, really kind of brings the, the, the series arc back into focus. Um, that, that each episode, you, you didn't know what was going to happen, who was going to turn up. So um, it, it brought a lot of excitement for me having that and I think it, it maybe kind of made the themes of the series a bit a bit sharper as well um, you get a lot of sort of um, uh, you know with the, the kind of the ultimate revelation that the, the, the early time lords used the doctor um, and then sort of stole um, the uh, her biology uh, that you kind of realize the rest of the series has a lot of that especially kind of the skithra in um, the Nikola Tesla episode the the Mm-hmm. Lenny Henry's characters using the Kasavin technology and uh, even the Earth being uh, <clears throat> repurposed as a holiday resort in, in Orphan 55. There's a, there's a lot of that going on throughout, uh, you know, before ultimately we find out that that's what happened to the Doctor. Yeah, and, and there's this... And, and another thing that I think keeps coming keeps coming up in, in, the, in the season, and I think it is deliberate, is the, this, the relationship that you have with the person you used to be. Mm-hmm. Um most dramatically, the Doctor, particularly though there are people who used to be who didn't even know you used to be, but, um, but that also that reflects in, in Yaz with the, the, the issue of her mental health issues when she was younger, which I guess is we're supposed to, as adult viewers, we're supposed to read it as a codified suicide. Uh, another, but, another, another 
point in my Yaz is bisexual and or somehow lesbian or queer or something theory because that's very it's a very common experience for queer youth. Yeah, and um, yeah, I I I know I know people have been shipping Phasmin since before the series. Started. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 but at that point, when Graham was telling her she was the most wonderful person uh, he, he'd ever met, I, I I was like, is this is now the moment to start shipping Phasmin? <laughs> yeah. Do <laughs> you know what? Nobody thought it was. Oh, I'm sure somebody <laughs> thought of us. Um, <laughs> Actually, well, yeah, a few people who have Graham as their identity figure, maybe. But um, yeah, and it's—I mean, after having, after obviously, as coming straight after Bill, which doesn't doesn't the Bill era seem mm-hmm. like a decade? Millions ago? of years it ago. It just seems like another Millions show, of years time, ago. another time, yeah. um, It's uh, it's interesting to have that being something that that maybe or may not be there. We can we can take it or leave it, and they may or may not be planning on getting around to it. I think it's I think it's building to a slow reveal because Chibnall wants to make sure the ground is set before he has a female companion have a crush on the female doctor. But we'll see. Um, I could end up being just wrong about that completely. Speaking of, though, having a relationship with your past, I think that's right. I I think um, the idea of sort of playing with memory, of course, comes up again and again. We Everyone was sort of like screaming about the memory wipes of Ada in Spyfall. And whatnot, and then it sort of well, that was actually planting the seed of memory wiping. That's maybe why that was there to some extent. Um, but speaking of people who seem not to acknowledge their past, the master, wherever you think he comes in their chronology, he seems never to have heard mm-hmm. of Missy, which is a really interesting choice, um, especially considering the previous two masters were actually on screen together. <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and we've had three consecutive two-part stories where the cliffhanger has been, "I'm the master." <laughs> being said either by, by him, the current one twice, and by uh, the, the last but one one at the time before. Yeah, that's but, true. Um, <laughs> I, I, I wonder if Chibnall has just deliberately been a little bit vague about that because he knows it's the kind of thing that will give us something to talk about rather than it being part of the plan to, to do something needlessly complicated. But as soon as I say that, actually, I think actually it could be a plan to do something needlessly complicated, couldn't it? <laughs> it's just, but I know, I know people were... We're bothered by it because I think they really, I think they took the change in Missy in season nine and especially season ten as as being meaningful for the character and not just that iteration of the character, but like for the master, like it, like the master had maybe kind of gotten close to where the doctor had always wanted them to be, which is like their friends again, and then literally kills her. You know, the old master kills her to prevent that from happening because he's a dick. Um, and it would be, it would almost, even just one line where he says, you know, my last self got a little crazy and did some dumb things. Yep. Even that would be a negative <laughs> acknowledgement that he's back to being crazy evil master again now. Yeah, it, and, and doing it so soon is strange. Mm. The, um, like, one, two years after, after we last had this huge master arc, to then have the master coming back as the prize, which wasn't, no one was saying. Oh, I wish they'd bring back the master. No, it seemed very um, I think that was I why think. it was such a big surprise, partly, because nobody expected him to bring the master back so soon. Um, and, and like you say, I, I was quite invested in, in yeah. Missy's uh, redemption uh, in Series 10 um, mm. because I like the character so much and the performance. And uh, and, and I think Capaldi sold, sold that so well. The um, the lion in... Um, mm. I can't remember which one it was. The, uh, the, the one about... Um, That's the trouble with hope. It's hard to resist. 
um, with such a world weird mm. way that he delivered it, um, and, and it, I felt I couldn't help but kind of uh, yeah get invested in that. So yeah, I, I can definitely uh, appreciate that wanting wanting some kind of resolution or explanation or whatever of uh, uh, of, of where that where that stopped for the character. Yeah, what's interesting to me about that is both with the tenant and sim master and then with uh missy and the doctor when he's 12 there's this sense that they both actually kind of want to be friends again but the master's too crazy um but the doctor always keeps reaching the handout maybe i don't remember it but i don't think jody ever really attempts to be nice to this master once she realizes it's the master and not out it, it goes straight back to, you know, like the yeah. Davison and, and Ainley sort of just like straight up. I hate you. Why are you here again? Uh, which is which was an interesting choice where it's just pure animosity. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wanted him to be R and for it to turn out that he, and he could say, oh, you can call me Raja, I can't call myself the Rani anymore. I? <laughs> that would have absolutely made my day. <laughs> but, um, but a harder sell to the press, I guess. It's, yeah. Yeah, but I, and, and then I think, I don't know, like the use of the master in Spyfall feels very much sort of tossed off, aside from the reveal it feels very weirdly tossed off, like another sort of season eight, like classic season eight where mm-hmm. the master helps some aliens. Um, what do we think about his plan to unify the Time Lords and the Cybermen? Because I think it may be the <laughs> silliest thing he's ever tried. <laughs> it's the silliest, but it does have sort of internal cogency in a way that others possibly don't. Like, I mean, I mean, it's this. His plan at the end of the series makes more sense than his plan at the start of the series, is what I'm saying, I suppose. Um, it's, it's utterly bonkers. Uh, and, and, I mean, getting the Cybermen <laughs> to wear neck braces. <laughs> well, they're not technically neck braces, are they? I know Gallifrey isn't really subject to lots of whiplash injuries, but I, I, that, that's how I rationalise them. Um, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> Why yeah, did he I actually want um... to do that? Because the other thing is that the Doctor's been rooting around on Gallifrey um, quite a bit, but has never come across all these Time Lord corpses. Or I, I wasn't sure if... Um, and I only thought about this on the second viewing, whether this the, uh, the, the finale is set just after the destruction of Gallifrey and the Doctor's visits have been some time later, because it's still kind of smoking, isn't it, when they, uh, when they arrive back uh, at the end of... Uh, mm. Yeah, all those, all those lovely sources yeah. <laughs> from Mark of Infinity and ornamental fountains are just smoking. Um, but in terms <laughs> of the master's plan not making sense, the he does try and just outright kill the Doctor in 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 Skyfall, um, and then he's annoyed when she's not dead, despite the fact that he wants to reveal the big secret of the timeless child to her, um, and has uh, <laughs> been looking forward to mm-hmm. it. Uh, which, if she'd just gone down with that plane, which was his intention, he would have never got to do with it. It just struck me that there are two, yeah, two stories this season whose titles are just other names for the Doctor. We have Fugitive of the Jadoon. The Fugitive of the Jadoon is the Doctor. And we have the Timeless Children, the Doctor. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I, it's not super yeah. interesting, but it just struck me, and I wanted to say it. Yeah, I mean, and, and that, that, who is the Doctor, what is the Doctor, mm. is, is right, at the, right up front this year. That, what do we feel about the, let's actually look at the reveal, because I like this idea that she was some sort of infant through a trans-dimensional rift or something. I mean, okay, what do we think the value of that is? Why would you want to do that? Like, what does that open up for you? Do we do we think it opens up something? Like, is it something? Because I saw, it, I kind of saw it and thought, okay, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I think but, if the Time Lords had still ooh. been around, and you needed to differentiate her or explain why she's different to them all, um, it might have had more value. But given that the Time Lords are all now gone. It doesn't really matter, I suppose, whether she was one of them or uh, part of another race that we'll we'll never get to see or learn about. I, I think this is part two of a five-part mm. saga that we're getting. I think that there were lots, there were seeds in season one. Obviously, the Titans, child, children being being mentioned for the first time. Uh, sorry, season mm. one. That's a, like, uh, you know, making <laughs> Jody's first mm-hmm. season, <laughs> um, and uh, and that was this up in one form or another um, and so yeah I, I, I think stuff will happen next year that will make stuff that happened this year make more sense I don't think I'm being too generous to him to say that because that is that is the way that it that, that he seems to be heading with it um, whether, um, whether it's a, a wise idea to stretch it over so many years is another matter but, but it's, I, I'm enjoying it but um, yeah, I, I, like um, there was a lot of uproar when Unit got dismissed in a joke uh, in Resolution, but I, I'm sure that, was, uh, to me, that was clearly setting stuff up for there's going to be some kind of bring back Unit at some point, uh, and that it had got it had got too cosy just being able to phone Kate and get the Queen to come round and, and, and everybody nipped to the Tower of London, which was fantastic and impressive at first, but you can't keep that there six years later as something to keep going back to, so they had to get to clear the decks. Uh, and uh, and just like I'm sure Unit will be back, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be stuff to do with the um, with the Time Lords and everything. Like like when, uh, I mean, at the end of Spyfall, where they said, "Oh no, Gallifrey's been destroyed." I saw some people saying, uh, "Oh, thank God for that." I'm so sick of the Time Lords and Gallifrey. At least we're not going to have any more stuff about that this year. <laughs> I, just thought, I, I really doubt that's the case, <laughs> but I didn't want to disappoint them. <laughs> yeah, no. If he if he wanted to, he could have left just Gallifrey out there. It's just out yeah, there, and it doesn't – like, there are entire stretches of the classic series when Gallifrey was there the whole time where it never came up or very rarely came up. It's entirely doable. He wanted to instead put his stamp, it seems, on the Doctor's origin story and and the relationship of Gallifrey. I also think – and this, I think he liked the idea of creating a founding mother in Tektayun because we have Rassilon, we have Omega. If you believe certain people, we have yeah. the other – um, and maybe tecting into the other, who knows? Um, but, and then we have sort of, oh, it's not just all the evil men on Gallifrey who created this horrible society. There is a woman too. <laughs> and she was just as bad and just as exploitative and just as terrible, which. Yeah. And, mm. and, 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 to go, and go back to your original question, I went off, went off rambling, um, about whether or not it's a good idea to even do it. I think I, I do like the, the notion that we now do not know who the Doctor is. The Doctor was not born or loomed on Gallifrey on a, 
on a particular day. Um, I vote looms, but you know. um, <laughs> and it's not because I've got an issue with wombs. It's just I just think it's a cool science fictiony idea. Um, but but we did. I mean, go back to Silver Nemesis and having trying to ask more of a question than 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 uh, a, a two paragraph summary about that actually tells us everything that there is to know about the Doctor. Having the Doctor turned into someone who has blank pages at the start of their bio mm. is, I think, a more exciting version of the Doctor than someone whose bio pretty much begins um, quite clearly with, with Clara hiding under his bed and giving him, making him shit himself one morning and if that was him in that barn. Um, is that still canon? I think yeah, I think it is, but I guess I think we have to assume that the Doctor always starts again as a baby or whatever infant-type creature on Gallifrey they had. Um, throughout all of these cycles, yeah, he always reverts, time, so she always reverts. Time tots. <laughs> Can you imagine if the word time tots had been used in this thing as <laughs> time, how it would have gone down? Because uh, we know <laughs> school would be with, with the Master and Drax as well, don't we, and the, and the Rani, so... Presumably was a child then, and and we saw his crib in um, Good Man Goes mm-hmm. to War. Is it, yeah. So if, yeah, Good uh, Man Goes to if War. If all that ties together, then the uh, the first Doctor did have a, a childhood, and then, uh, uh, but with no memory of of the previous incarnations there. So yeah, it seems like there's a lot still to unpack there, particularly with the uh, with those scenes in Ireland, which uh, seem to be sort of a perception filter type. Um, uh, type experience, don't they? For uh, there's, there's something else that's coded, or maybe find out about. Well, I thought it, yeah. I thought that was essentially the doctor's. That was the truth of the doctor's existence, and they couldn't completely delete it, and so they kind of got weirdly distorted into this Irish story. Where I thought that that was the cover story that was written in the Matrix to hide where they had deleted what the Doctor's real past yeah. was. And is that, it, I don't know how much of that is me or what, what was actually said. I think that's what's said, but it is very meh. Um, and so it's also <laughs> yeah. metaphorical. It's the child who's found and then you know falls off a cliff just like we find out the Doctor did as a child. Not so they discovered he could regenerate. Sort of things like that. And then being used and sort of helping and it you know um like and i honestly think it was done in ireland so they could have the building that was a police station without having the words police on it so it wouldn't give it away too much because uh, otherwise it's very clearly the doctor going into the darkness <laughs> um and so all of that and it's sort of just it's all this big metaphor um for the doctor this is what the doctor does the doctor comes to life uh, as a as a child uh, is adopted and then always it's like their nature they always go and enlist in some sort of agency that helps or they go and help on their own or something it's sort of part of their nature and will never change and never can change because it's who they are um, but the true origin of having been this abandoned baby was the Ireland story um, which I thought was interesting in Ascension of Cybermen I I wish I hadn't been quite so confident I knew what it meant and ended up being right. But I thought it was an interesting, that's a much more interesting way of getting across something that might be, you know, story development is by telling it elliptically or metaphorically. Um, but maybe he never did quite explain it clearly enough for some viewers. Yeah. I, I don't think I've picked up. <laughs> <I don't care>. <laughs> 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 and also, I mean, it's so very self-contained in episode one, in, in part one, 
I kind of keep going, so I keep going, I want to block two, you know what I mean? Um, that, yeah, it, it could have been a, a, a standalone, it could have been a TARDIS ode, almost. It doesn't mm-hmm. actually affect the story, it's, it's, it's very beautiful and very thought-provoking, but, um, but in terms of the events that then unfold, you, you could have just cut that out, and, and events could have unfolded around it, because they don't, yeah, you know, it, it, it's, it's back colour rather than something that any of the characters in the story mm. actually interact with. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm, I have the Wikipedia, it's like the page for season 12, and there's like a, let's say, seven-sentence summary of Ascension of the Cybermen that doesn't mention any of that. Really? It doesn't mention the <laughs> Brandon, Brandon, is that his name? Whatever the name was. Uh, Brendan, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't mention that That's at all. It's just Wikipedia page Doctor Who stories are, are normally... Every single one of them normally has that. This needs editing down. Everyone thinks they're terrible. <laughs> decides to do a complete novelization. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, this is just about like the Cyberman plot and doesn't mention. Meanwhile, the viewer is seeing visions of a police office. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. We haven't talked about the Cyberman's design, and and I, I think this has been a really beautiful season um, of Doctor Who, uh, and the well, um, yeah, and the. Um, the three versions of Cybermen that we've had, the, the, the old school ones, and then the um, Ashad version, and then the sort of souped up invasion version, all just looked absolutely spectacular. I, I was really impressed with the work the design people have done, and, and the Ashad character being that broken half man, half Cyberman face. Um, I always loved the, the green chins that you could see in Earthshock, reminding mm. you that these were. Organic, organics underneath it all, and going even further than that with him making it almost 50-50. Yeah, so the ways that was shot as well, where you sometimes saw just one half of the face or the other half, was, uh, uh, and everything, the way he moved and everything, it was it was fantastic performance, I think. Mm. And his humanity is what makes him worse. Definitely. And again, I suppose in, the, in terms of the theme of... Uh, uh, people being used as well in the way that the, the Doctor was used by the Time Lords. It's the Siberi, Siberium, Siberiad, Siberium, using Siberium. him um, as a as a partial human to uh, to actually carry out its wishes. Yeah, I thought Ashad was an interesting idea. I don't think I think it ended up being he's a crazy guy, which is not the most satisfying explanation for a villain. Is he's I would have liked maybe a bit more sense of who he had been. But I think it's interesting to think that there are these sort of, you know, cybermen worshipping or, you know, uh, cyber superior something people out there. Um, But then it makes me wonder, like he mentioned having killed his family. I was like, why did you have a family if you were, if they're so terrible? But I thought it was interesting that he sort of represented that there are some people who think the human flesh is awful. And and in that way, he can almost be led, read like a religious allegory or something. Like, you know, the flesh is evil, the brain and the spirit will be pure, and we will be great when we are when we have ascended, for use a religious term. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that, that's why. Yeah. They it's that, a bit that, muddy, that unfortunately, but I think there's something there. Yeah, I suppose we've had, we've had characters like that, haven't we, who've, who've uh, aspired to be Cybermen in the past, or some of the uh, people in Tomb of the Cybermen and, uh, were like that, weren't they, that they... Uh... 
Well, they've wanted to use the Cybermen and they've wanted to use the cyber strength. They've never actually wanted to lose themselves before. Right. And Ashad wants to actively, you know, destroy the sort of any human component in Cybermen. As, as the master says, you're just going to be robots? Mm. That's, that's lame. Yeah, and that's, that's something we've got used to do with uh, vampire stories, isn't it? The, 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 mm-hmm. the, the person who does want, who does want to become a vampire, immortality. Um, and, and putting aside men in, in that light a bit, uh, in a way that you wouldn't so much with the Daleks. Although that's also been toyed with, but not, mm-hmm. not, not so much people really wanting to be Yeah, Daleks. I think it's much more sort of, in a weird way, it echoes the Spyfall story about sort of, you know living in the age of information and sort of sending, you know, what matters is thought and the brain and not the body and affection and love and stuff. Again, I, I, I don't think Chibnall's without ideas. <laughs> I think I just, I often just think he ends up writing a lot of very clunky scenes that sort of are serviceable for the plot and and he's never, at least for, for my sense, he's never quite found a way to sort of have all, everything sort of illustrate his themes kind of almost naturally the way I think both RTD and Moffat were able to do, where everything echoes. And you're sort of, when you're in a good episode, everything is bouncing off each other and illuminating every other part of it. Whereas here it's sort of like, doll, doll, doll. Oh, that's an interesting moment. Doll, doll, doll. That's just me. <laughs> it's not, it's just not just you. <laughs> you are definitely not a lone voice. Um, yeah, I suppose, and, and again, but for me, it does come. So I keep asking, why am I enjoying this series of Doctor Who more than a lot of other people do? And um, and it does come. It does come back to liking all four of the central characters um, in, in a way that I I just haven't with. with Fifty percent of the occupants of the TARDIS at any previous time since the reboot. Um, well, that would be too harsh. I, re- I really liked it. So, like when Donna was introduced, mm. that was when I liked the Tenth Doctor for the first time because uh, he was being his, his vanity and egotism was being shown as a weakness rather than something to look up to, which it would put people um, in, in the previous seasons. I felt um, so that so that more than the mechanics of the script, right? Of, of, the, of the process of the script. Um, is what will make me look forward to seeing it the next week, I think. Um, yeah. No, I, and I think I think that's generally true. I think a lot yeah. of people really take to these characters very strongly. Um, I I haven't, <laughs> any, any of them, really. Um, they all have moments, but I think they're all sort of... I think they're too often underwritten. I think... I don't know. I, I, I do feel like these past two seasons have been a very good illustration about why four people is too many in one TARDIS nowadays. Um, that you'll just get three or four episodes in a row where characters are just kind of just there perfunctorily. Um, but then you do get stories like like Haunting Ability Odati that gives them all different things to do. Praxeus actually yeah, did do that as well. Yeah, you're right. Um, and sort of yeah. uses yeah. the fact that we have four yeah. leads. Okay, great. Yeah. We can all have them doing separate things and intercut and have it be very exciting. But so many of the stories yeah. just don't do They're just clumped together in like every scene. 
Is that public knowledge? Well, I don't know. I, I know that well, Bradley yeah, Walsh has been... I'm pretty sure publicly confirmed, but I don't know about anything else. That's right. Yeah, you know, you're right. It, 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 there is a distinction. Brad, Bradley Walsh has, has publicly said, I'm definitely not in the next series. Um, Tossin Cole has not, and that's not been announced, but people have seen he's in Hollywood filming something else, the exact dates that the new season is, or what yeah. start filming on. So, so that's a deduction rather than a, an announcement. Um, so, 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 yeah, the deduction is we're just going to get either just the Doctor and Yaz or the Doctor and Yaz and someone else. Um, but, and that, that, that fascinates me because we've not had a change like that before of having a long, stable period. Of, I mean, we've had, is this the longest mm. stable cast we've ever had in Doctor Who? Um, of more than two, yes. Well, well, of more, more than two, than definitely, two. yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and to, um, and to go from that to cutting it back down, I guess there's, there's the equivalent of when um, when the fourth Doctor went from having Harry and Sarah mm-hmm. to just Sarah, but that wasn't they haven't been, they'd only done the one year, obviously. But um, I I think they've definitely shown there is plenty of scope for if he has the Doctor to be in more ways than one. Um, <laughs> it will, uh, the, the amount of cheering that will go on <laughs> if it crosses a certain line will be. Uh, would be, would be uh, yeah, notable, I'm sure. But um, although I'm that, I'm that no hanky. Oh God, <laughs> I'm slightly nervous about it because I, I didn't enjoy um, the Doctor and Rose and the Doctor and Martha being a, a thing. I, I didn't mind it too much at first, but um, but the companion being romantically attached to the Doctor as the central aspect of that companion's relationship to the Doctor just doesn't seem like a good idea for a Doctor companion relationship. That's going because it's inevitably going to end in, in heartbreak, um, which isn't how I like companion and doctor relationships to end. But um, I'm not opposed to anything like that. But I did get bored of it. Yeah, I, I, my my gut feeling is that that's not where Chibnall is going to go with it. That it'll be it'll be acknowledged maybe, but it won't be centralized. Um, I also don't quite buy that it's just going to be the two of them. I don't I don't think that's a dynamic he wants. Um, I think he wants to keep something more of a crowded TARDIS, but but I don't know. We'll see. I, I do think it's sort of yeah. it's unsurprising that Bradley Walsh, after a few seasons, would be like, "Okay, I'm I'm out. I've done this, but I got other stuff to do, and I'm I'm not a young man." Yeah, I mean, he's, he's never <laughs> off the telly in this um, country, uh, so he's, he's definitely got um, yeah you know, plenty of other stuff to occupy his time. Um, I think one of the things you're going to mention, Eric, was about comedy. Graham, is that something you've? Oh yeah, and and I sort of touched on, it, but I didn't get to say much about it um, because I moved on to something else. Because that's what I do. Um, I think it's interesting that because Ryan and Graham had been sort of their their emotional baggage had kind of been dealt with by the time we finish resolution and we come into the season, they kind of get to be not entirely but largely comedic supporting characters. Um, you know, we get Graham doing mm-hmm. the sort of laser shoes thing. Um, he does it. He does it in Orphan Fifty Five, where he's like, "I'm going to go sit over there for a few hours. I'm going to go have a drink and go sit over there for a few." Like he mainly gets to be sort of, sort of 
crotchety a bit and a bit funny and a bit goofy. And he and Ryan work together sort of as a comedic double yeah. act while sort of the doctor and Yaz are being like, we got to solve this problem. Yeah. Like in, in Villa de Dati as well. Uh, I like his stuff about getting the, getting the sandwiches yes. and then yeah. him into ghost and only later realizing that they were ghosts. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great reveal. I thought that was a really great <laughs> that, that reveal. When you, you, as yeah. the viewer, you also assume it will be tied up with the sci-fi and yeah. you're like, they're not doing anything <laughs> with Graham's ghosts. What was that? Oh, okay. Oh crap. They're just ghosts. Okay. Mm, the, yeah. the voice of the non-science fiction fan in the room who is watching Doctor <laughs> Who because someone else has put it on, which is an important <laughs> character in every science fiction series that aims to be viewed by more than just science fiction fans. If you're if you're mm. going out on Netflix and, and ten thousand viewers would be spectacular, then you don't need a character like Ray. But if you if you're trying to still get the millions in on BBC One on a Saturday night or Sunday night. Um, you, de- you desperately need a Graham figure, so that makes me think if, if it is going forward without him, someone else will, will come in to step up to that. You know, I've got. I'm, I'm just wondering about what's his name, the um, the cop from Praxeus, who uh, as being a sort of Harry Sullivan type figure, um, being yeah. a, a third person alongside the Doctor and Yaz. I think that could work really well. But he had that potential to be, he would be the action, you know, the mm-hmm. action man, the balance with Yaz's more thoughtful and trying to solve the puzzles, uh, uh, the, the brainy one, basically. And then the doctor being the, the scatty genius. I could, I could see a, a dynamic like that working with three. Yeah. I think it, I think it heavily depends on what, what the third series of Jodie Whittaker brings and, and like how how heavily the revelations of this season weigh on it, how much it centers it and focuses that. Because um, I mean, we did end on this sort of like massive cliffhanger, um, you know, where where the sort of fam has gone has been sent back to Earth in a in a TARDIS house, yeah, and they're supposed to just in live the there now. And the doctor's off on her own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Plan that better next time, Doctor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're all on. Oh, at least they're all locked down in the TARDIS. That's not too bad. But yeah, they all think she's dead, don't they? Yeah. But then, so my feeling is that Revolution of the Daleks may only feature small appearances by the other by the companions, and may be essentially. A lot like something Doctor Widow in the Wardrobe or uh, Return of Doctor Mysterio, these sort of ones that only vaguely had the companions and really was about the Doctor with a whole new set of characters. So, but we'll see. Yeah, if it's got to write Graham and Yaz out, though, uh, sorry, Graham and Ryan out, they might feature more heavily if it, if it is their swan song. They might, I, but we haven't seen Chibnall say goodbye to a companion yet, so we don't know how he does it. He no. might be more old they school might about a, this. A dodo yeah, he might, or he might just be, you know, like you yeah. get twenty minutes of them, and at the end they say, you know mm. what, we're, we're staying here. A Bell and Polly, more of a Ben and Polly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not much of it actually. They didn't get up. They got a slightly better deal than Dodo. Yeah, they. Um, but I, I felt this season was gearing us up for companion oh, but again maybe you're just me assuming it as a fan I thinking this cast is not going to stay for a third year so I was just expecting a change to be set up but it did seem like that was literally being done particularly with Ryan going back and uh, and, and, and can you hear me and uh, meeting up with his friends and realising how valued he is by them and, mm. and Graham too both 
they're both having the call to just go home, which I think, and I, I like that. We've not really had a, a little, well, there aren't so many instances of a companion ever doing that, just just feeling like they've, they've had enough now and would like to go home, but not in a tea and I can't stand this anymore way or mm. in a uh, or, or in a Martha traveling with you is harming me kind of way. Just in a, yeah, it's been fun. I'm the closest now. we got was Amy um, and Rory, who there, you know, there was an entire Chibnall episode yeah. about them kind of thinking maybe we're done and then they kind of they didn't get to leave on their own terms but they were clearly edging towards that it felt like yes yes it was coming yeah um whereas here maybe he's finally going to do that i also think it's not uh, a coincidence that graham got paired with an older woman for much of the finale and she got teleported she survived and now she and graham are in a house together somewhere (laughs) Yeah. And like that seems like maybe a nice convenient way to say, okay, well, Graham's going to sit here with his new wife and they're going to be happy together. And maybe Ryan will stay or maybe Ron. They'll spend a whole year trying to persuade Ryan to call her grandma. That <laughs> <laughs> like, no, doesn't work that, that way. It, 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 you can't just keep marrying people and dying and then you keep <laughs> passing the title on. <laughs> They, they, you're right though they, they seeded that with Graham as well because uh, he talked about I think it was the end of Can You Hear Me um, he said we, to Yaz we can't keep doing this forever doesn't he yeah. like he was already sort of thinking about the exit and um, I felt like in that one because he had some visions of the dregs as well didn't he like the mm-hmm. the fact that, that, that the earth potentially needed him as well that he could um, he could do some good in terms of averting an environmental catastrophe was, was something else that would bring him home as well as is due to his friends. He could start up a foundation that begins with the letters G R A H A Global rehabilitation and human uh, achieving yeah. masterpieces. Uh, that's it. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I don't. I don't know. I'll be. I'm curious. Certainly. Um, Chibnall. He's consistently. Doing things I don't expect him to do. Not always things I like. Um, but, like, his big decisions, I'm sort of... Like, in within stories, the beats all feel very prescribed. But his big overarching decisions, I'm still kind of like, what is he doing? What is what is he playing at? What is he trying to get at? And I'm still not sure. And And I think you're right that there's some sense of an overall longer arc my guess is it will largely wrap up next season because i don't think you can guarantee whitaker will stay around for anything more but who knows mm-hmm. no that's that's the big question yeah that's that's the million dollar question what she's um because they did you know there's a lot of talk about it being a five-year well not a lot of well fans read a lot into that statement yeah. that they got they, they've sold five years of doctor who to japanese to chinese tv mm. um that yeah it's, it's way too easy to get to run away with that which is just um, yeah, the five years actually extended the show until 2020, which is now. Hmm. Yeah, so right. it's sort of like, <laughs> hmm. um, I, I'm not, I don't think the show's any danger of any kind, but I do think no. I would be surprised if, if the first Doctor in the modern era to stay beyond three seasons and a few specials is Jodie Whittaker. I mean, she might, hmm. but she's a young woman with a lot of potential and a lot of, I'm sure, great offers coming in. And this is a grueling job to commit to again and again and again. She is getting yeah. more time between series than the other doctors, though. Much she, more. Yeah, Much she's more. wanting to um, to explore kind of uh, you know movie roles and things like that. Well, doesn't she also have kids, like youngish kids? Is, am I, I making that up? I think she's got one. 
Yeah. She probably wants to see that occasionally. Like I imagine parents feel that way. Yeah. People say that you can people say you can tolerate your own, I think, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean like she's she would she is the first modern doctor to have children of a young age. Um the yeah, others have either done it before they had kids or didn't have kids or Peter Capaldi's kids were, you know, already teenagers and 20-somethings. Mm-hmm. That Every actor says that changes the way you think about this stuff. Um, and so... Yeah. Yeah, and and being based in Wales, I guess, as well, is uh, mm-hmm. if you're uprooting a family like that. Yeah. yeah. Or only doing it on weekends or whatever. Yeah, it, it, it makes it difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, it's it certainly raised her profile as well. And so, yeah, I got to imagine that there's offers coming in from various other places and to do other things. That said, I think, I think the way she and the entire doctor who creative team past and present has risen to sort of the current crisis has been, Mm -hmm. it's made me so happy to be a fan of this ridiculous show. Oh yeah. We've got to talk about (laughs) that. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I just, only, only doctor who could, exactly what she did and, mm-hmm. and she did it in her own way and just it's just adorable yeah yeah, yeah. doing videos hiding in closets at your house and <laughs> and, and it still feels like it's genuinely within character and feels entirely real <laughs> yeah. um even though her hair is too long and whatnot um and even but it's, it says so much about the show that she had that costume because what i read at least is that oh the doctor must always has a costume at their house so that they can just go and do charity work when they want to. Oh, that's, that's and I'm like, of course that makes sense. That, if you're yeah. the actor playing the yeah, doctor, yeah, yeah. you don't want to have to go and deal with the wardrobe mistress every time you need to go. And I'm going to yeah. a kid's hospital tomorrow. Get me. And it's like, no, you just keep it at home. God, if you're the doctor, just going anywhere, surely. It would be. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you are literally a superhero. <laughs> I imagine at certain points she just wants to run down the shops and get some, you know, beans and toast or whatever. But. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so she apparently just had it, and you know. Um, but we've gotten we've gotten new Doctor Who fiction from RTD, Stephen Moffat, Chris Chibnall, Paul Cormel, uh, Peter McTie wrote one, didn't he? Yes, he, he did. Like the one with Susan, and there's still yeah, yeah. He did the Susan thing, mm-hmm. which sort of made jokes about missing episodes and all these sort of things, but yeah. also was really touching yeah. <laughs> and, and it's lovely. nice to get a future showrunner in there with the uh, with the past and current <laughs> ones as well <laughs> it's his destiny Definitely. yeah yeah <laughs> whether he likes it or not <laughs> but but all these tweet alongs and RTD coming on Twitter and Moffat coming back to Twitter and Richard Talalay yeah. talking about Heaven Send and all of this stuff there's just so many people for whom this show matters so much and they've all kind of realized now's the time to sort of not worry about who did what when. Now's the time to just be all hands on deck. Yeah, uh, and that's it's it's lovely. It's just lovely. Yeah, fantastic. And Karen Gillan is as huge as she is now as well. Yeah, uh, she'll need to do this now, crap. Yeah. She's Nebula. She's an Avenger. Yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There must be people who follow her who don't know on Twitter who have no idea what Doctor Who mm-hmm. is. Well, no, they must know what it is, but. But still, just just taking it up to that, her doing a Doctor Who tweet along to, to people who, to many people who must never have watched an episode, but it's just slightly mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And the fact that she like even supplied her voice somehow for the little Rory video, um, where like Rory is telling their f- future child about, yeah, you know, about how to deal with things. Yeah, that's it's great as well. 
Yeah. There's been a ton of great content. Neil Gaiman come back and I think everybody's mm-hmm. everybody's just chipping in and doing stuff. Yeah, Richard and, Curtis, we got. Yeah. Mm-hmm, and it feels like uh, it's like when, you know, um, Julie Gardner used to say that their shows always overran. And RTD is always like, oh, and Julie has to go and has to fight. And she's like, no, really? I just walk in and say, come on, it's Doctor Who. You love us. <laughs> and that's kind of what the vibe <laughs> seems to be, right? It's like, it's Doctor Who. You know you kind of love us. And right now, that's what you want. Yeah, yeah. And all these different chapters from this anthology, you know, that's had so many different authorial styles over so many decades, mm. can, you can still just turn the page from one straight into another one and, and absolutely know that you're still in the same universe and that it is the same thing, even though at the time it might have felt completely weird and alien when it was, when something, when one of the periodic complete changes of the format came along, you, then you look back at it and you think, yes, this is a very wiggly line, but it's the same line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we had that, that period where it wasn't on the air where everything was kind of consolidated and, and we knew what Doctor Who was and, and we were used to watching things from the past uh, watching them in any order we wanted and just kind of picking out the good ones and then it shows kind of it's not really worth getting worked up now about you know an episode that disappoints you or whatever because it's that's the same with every single season there ever was isn't it there isn't yeah. um, th- there's always uh, you know kind of one that you don't like as much as the others it's, it's you know kind of a bit tough or the special effects let it down or something um but yeah my theory was always we had all those years where we just watched it very selectively um and now watching watching them again in order as they're broadcast and new ideas being introduced and especially in this most recent series um but but you know over the the length of, of, of history of this show which people still be watching it in another 50 years uh if we're still around is uh it's it's going to be a very small chapter in a in a very long story hmm. and that's why I, I i started off by saying like this isn't my hmm. era it's not bad like i think chibnall has some weakness in writing but i'm not saying it's bad i think acting's good blah 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 blah. just not for me as much as other eras of doctor who are there's still yeah. stuff i love but it's the same way like we all have eras of modern or classic who that are sort of like, eh, it's not mm-hmm. really my time. And it I think it's weird for fans to live through that time, like as it happens. I know sort of RTD dislikers had their issues and Moffat dislikers had their issues and Chibnall dislikers have their issues, but it's it's just part of the thing. Like yeah. 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 If it were always the same, it would have died decades ago. Yeah. Precisely. It's, it's the, and, and I, I always look at the fact that the same production crew were able to give us Caves of Androzani and Prison Dilemma back to back. And that, that, that didn't happen just by accident. It was the, the freedoms that Doctor Who gives to these people and the restraints it puts on them is what can let them roll the dice and, and hit a six one week. And I'm sure there are people out there who think Twin Dilemma is their favourite story. And good on it. I don't, I don't <laughs> think anyone thinks that, but... <laughs> but, um, but um, yeah, but... That, that is that's the nature of it, and it's the ability to keep regenerating. That, um, that, Completely, that keep it going. And yeah, and then suddenly started watching during the McCoy era, and then and then uh, you know, kind of really got into the series during the wilderness years. There was no love for the McCoy era, really. Um, but now it's been you know completely reevaluated. I think it's it's seen as as, as you know the series going out on a real high. You know, especially sort of season twenty six is. Um, it's fantastic, which uh, obviously you're covering at the moment uh, on the Real McCoy podcast, Eric. 
Indeed we are. And you came on to talk about Silver Nemesis, and I made you cry. In which way? He was very mean about a classic anniversary story. (laughs) (laughs) I told the truth about a pile of flaming garbage (laughs) that Mark loves because it's from his childhood and he adores it. And that's great. That's great. But it's not good. (laughs) I... Agree, agree to. Oh, sorry, opening wounds here. <laughs> no. I'm, sure you, I'm sure you found a, a nice place to leave that at. So let's let's just ima- imagine that I, I'm the thirteenth Doctor and I thought something you never decided to say to me. <laughs> no, it's fine. We knew where we were coming from before we recorded. Uh, but yeah, we just released our episode on Battlefield, and so we have sort of the ace tripartite, you know, story. Ghostlight coming up next. It's yeah. it's just from high to high. Um, but you're right, Mark. That at the time. It was sort of widely acknowledged to be just rubbish. Um, and I think that was always the wrong opinion, but most people certainly now seem to think that was the wrong opinion. Even people who had that opinion then, I think, many of them now have come around, at least to some yeah, extent. Yeah, no, so. people tend to think of the classic series now, I think, as one whole thing. And it's like, oh, I love I love the classic series and I, I love the RTD stuff, but I hate Moffat and stuff like that. And you think, but it's like, you can't say... You love twenty six yeah, exactly. seasons it's, of classic. Um, it's not one homogenous mass that was that was that was made by a, you know a single um, and even really separating old and new who it's it's not like there was anybody still working on Doctor Who when it ended in nineteen eighty nine that was working on it really you know, mm. kind of uh, yeah nineteen sixty three um, yeah the, there's only the the gap between uh, between it being produced that, that creates any difference in it. It's the parochial hundred-year-old broom that's yeah. had twenty-five mm. new handles and twenty-five new brushes, uh, it, uh, but it's still that same broom. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, we're going to talk about the historical format a bit. Did we touch on that? Yeah. Oh, the absence of a of a of a um, the absence of a, of a sort of heavyweight historical this year. Yeah, I forgot I was going to talk about that. I think that when you only have 10 episodes and the finale and the closing are both two parts, it sort of really cuts down on how many different kinds of stories you can have. Um, and I think the closest we got to the heavyweight historical was essentially Spyfar Part 2, where the Doctor was running around in the past with with Ada and with Noor and whoever. Yeah, yeah. Because um, it, it, it just struck me, it was interesting that the... Um that last year, the two episodes that seemed to get the most applauded were um, were, were Rosa and, and Punjab, uh, and, and so I, I just expected them to do more of that this year. I wasn't, I wasn't particularly hungry for it, but I thought that, that's the one thing that everyone seems to be telling me we do that really well. Uh, but, and yeah, mm. and the witch finders as well. Um, <laughs> I thought those those three were really strong historicals, um, and and what we got kind of instead this year was was probably the yeah. the more kind of theme park. Which one is it still uh, one of my favourite historical um, of, of the, Nikola the, Tesla? The, the past few years, not just the not just the past two, uh, but I, I, I thought it was pretty good on first watch, and that's when I've when I've gone back and mm. watched it again like a year or more later. I've been like, no, this is this is really good. This is um, yeah. Uh, um, once you were, once you were, I'm still can't quite get used to the idea of there being new episodes of Doctor Who at all. <laughs> <laughs> I still think of it as I'm still in that hiatus uh, mentality where if I haven't read the novelisation first, it feels a bit weird anyway. 
Yeah. It's interesting. I, I, you know, the, the reaction to Rosa was markedly different depending on where you were from, it seemed to me. Um, and I think it's one that in America, especially felt very after school, especially if that means anything to you, sort of like, um, uh, children's programming in the sense of we're going to teach you a nice little tidy historical lesson and it's going to be inspirational. Um, and to do that, it sort of had the most cartoony racist and most over the top. And sort of when you're living in 21st century America and you lived through part of the 20th, it's sort of like, that's not really how it is. And it's much more insidious and worse than that. Um, but Demon, whereas Demons and Punjab was full of like shades of gray, right? That, that was the whole point of that was like, everyone's kind of right, maybe. And it's only a question of who's going to be the worst. <laughs> um, but it was sort of just like historical forces capturing people. It felt like the massacre to me, Demons of Punjab in a way. Um, and so they're kind of two very different approaches to historicals. And he didn't really do either. He <laughs> did. He, he, he kind of just didn't go back to the format, which, which is interesting. I'm, I'm not sure if that's just because, as I said, like he had other stuff going on this season. He wanted to do his sort of big Gallifrey stuff and his Cyberman stuff. I guess we got Diodati and, um, blah, 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 Nikola Tesla, but they're both sort of more celebrity historical kind. Yes. Mm. Yes. But, but they could have started out as, as a, as a most, more, more earnest feed. But then, then it's in a more uh, rhombi direction, yeah. As they got fleshed out completely. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right, though, Pete. It's surprising that given the kind of the plaudits uh, they, they got for those ones, um, and it being quite different to to the stuff we've had recently, it wasn't something that they uh, pursued. Yeah, I think it's. I I do also think though. I think yeah. he wanted. My feeling is Chibnall wanted season twelve to be more fun overall. It feels like it's more fun. It feels yeah. less ponderous. It's a bit like a bit like mm. seasons, uh, old, old school seasons seven and eight. Uh, season mm. seven was like a complete reformatting, and then season eight was kind of a reformatting of the reformatting, which is notionally the same, but that thing of it just mm. being more adventurous yeah. and more fun and less less yeah. less serious. Yeah, I think just as with with the Doctor's character, maybe he thought he overshot it a bit. I think maybe he thought, "Oh, I've gone to it," because I always said season eleven is like adult drama vibe like it doesn't feel like family television vibe at all it feels like adult drama vibe this feels much more like family television vibe like it's meant to be kids and parents and everybody where season 11 often felt just so grim and even when the subject matter wasn't that dark just like looked dark and everything just kind of looked like broad church Mm -hmm. and that's that's usually a cue to kids to go to bed not to like tune in But anyway, that's all I had to say. Yeah, that's my notes covered. Yes. Uh, well, thank you very much, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Uh, so we've already mentioned the Real McCoy podcast, Eric. Uh, mm. You've got uh, a few other irons in the fire. Oh, of course, always. Um, yes, yeah, so there's Real McCoy, which is uh, which is great. You should go listen to it. Um, I also do The Writer's Room, which is a show where we talk about the writers of classic genre television. We're currently doing um, their Outer Limits, but we're about to finish with that and move on to something exciting. And before that, we did every writer for classic Doctor Who over the course of about six years. So you can go check out those if you're not familiar. Um, and then I have a show called So Much Stuff to Sing that's about Broadway because I like to be varied. 
Excellent. I'll put links in the show notes to those. Check those out. Oh, fantastic. Excellent, yeah. And uh, your Twitter handle is? Uh, it's SJC Austinite. That's S-J-C-A-U-S-T-E-N-I-T-E. And Pete, you're on Twitter as well? I am, yeah. I'm just, um, I'm just uh, very Pete Lambert on, uh, uh, on Twitter. Hey, Helen. Cool. Uh, you can find the podcast as at trapone underscore and find all our previous episodes at trap1.podbean.com. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Toodles. Thank <laughs> you.